Ale. Welcome to Sermons from Centerpoint. My name is Pastor Chris Laurent, and we're glad you're here today. In last week's sermon on August 30th, 2020, the gospel presents a difficult topic. In Matthew 18, 15 through 20, Jesus begins his trek to Jerusalem, which will lead up to the final days of his life. He knows this and begins to share this with his apostles. Peter, with loyalty and zeal, says, God forbid it, Lord. This must have never happened to you. To which Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Wow, talk about a harsh response, right? Although maybe it reveals an important lesson. Maybe our best intentions can be opposed to God's plan. But it is true, is it not? If Peter got his way, Jesus wouldn't have died for our sins. If you'd like to read along with our scripture, we're reading from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Our first scripture reading is Romans 12, 9 through 21. And our gospel reading is Matthew 16, 21 through 28. If you need a moment, go ahead and pause this so that you can go ahead and look those up. I'm honored that you chose to listen to us today. God bless, and I hope that you're drawn closer to Christ through this message. So if you would join me in our scripture in Miss Joni for Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Hate is what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your, hungry, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And if you would stand for our gospel reading, Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day rise. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he, that is Jesus, turned and said to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. 
And then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or when will they give in return? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Be to God. Amen. You may be seated. <sighs> Where's the child? And he goes out into a garden. Now his mother's planted all kinds of beautiful flowers. His mother has planted all wonderful kinds of vegetables. And the child decides in his impetuousness to help. And so he does. He goes out into the garden and he pulls out flowers that have not bloomed quite yet. He pulls up vegetables out of a desire to help that aren't quite grown. And with muddy hands and with muddy feet, he comes into the house, leaving muddy footprints all over the carpet, all over the floor, and all over the door. In this story from Matthew, we have the Apostle Peter one of Jesus' most zealous disciples. And in the spirit of loyalty, in the spirit of faithfulness, as Jesus Christ is talking about what he might have to go and do and suffer through being tortured, being killed, suffering, Peter responds, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. Peter, in his finite wisdom, does not know the road ahead and what Jesus must do on behalf of the world, on behalf of us. And so like the child who goes to pull the flowers too early, the vegetables, he does this thing which seems honorable, which any of us could understand. In fact, who here wouldn't have responded? Imagine, imagine being in their sandals. Imagine having been with Jesus for three years. Imagine the miracles you have seen. Imagine the compassion you have felt. Imagine what you have learned. In fact, I forget which gospel it's in, but one of the writers makes this statement. 
I wrote down everything I could, but if I was to write down everything, it would have filled up all the libraries in the world. What did they learn? What other feats did they see? What kind of amazing teachings did they absorb from Christ? So imagine yourself walking with Jesus towards Jerusalem and hearing him say, with full knowledge of what he has already done, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to uh, be turned over to the authorities. I'm going to be uh, guilty in a sham trial. And then I'm going to have a bunch of Gentiles pierce my head with thorns and scourge me, and then I'm going to die. Us, with the benefit of hindsight, could look at Peter and say, oh man, what were you thinking? But for a moment, let us put ourselves in his shoes. Could we have endured knowing that our dear Savior would have to go through hell? Would we have not responded in the same way? Can we not see for just a moment the good intentions, the heart behind Peter. We can, and we should, because we should be putting ourselves in his shoes. But here's the thing about this story. Peter's good intentions, his good heart, his desire to not see the Christ suffer was, direct, was in direct opposition to the plan and the will of God. How hard is that for us to consider for just a moment? Let us empathize with Peter. Let us sympathize with Peter. Let us understand his position. Let us put ourselves in his sandals. But let us also understand that all of those good intentions, all of that desire to save the Christ was not what was needed. In saving Christ, would he not have doomed the whole world? In saving Christ, would he have not subverted the will of God? This is tough. This is difficult. And I think it's something that we can all empathize with and understand. Because all of us have good intentions. The child who just wanted to make his mother smile, who just wanted to help, had great intentions and a great heart. But what damage was done to her garden? What flowers would not be able to bloom? What vegetables would not be able to be eaten? What work would have to be done to get that dirt out of the carpet? 
we can empathize with this because not only have some of us maybe had children who have tried to do similar things, maybe our spouse has tried to do similar things. I remember uh, personally when I was younger and uh, I want to say less married, but that's not the word I'm looking for. When When I was not as when our marriage wasn't as old, when our marriage was younger, my wife used to come to me and she would uh, talk about this issue. And my default is to turn on my fixer. I need to fix this problem that's making her sad. I need to go and do X. I need to go punch this dude in the face. Whatever it is to solve the problem, I needed to do And I remember many times she told me over and over and over again, I don't need the fixer. I need you to just sit and listen. All of my good intentions, all of my instincts, I needed to put to the side to actually be in ministry to my wife. And this isn't even the only example of this idea in Scripture. I'm getting all cattywampus, I'm sorry. How much suffering did the prophets have to go through? How much suffering did the apostles have to go through? In fact, in Acts, It shows the early church and Peter and some of these zealous people going before the Sanhedrin, going before the Jewish ruling council and standing up for their faith and refusing to be quiet. Now, the smart thing would be to be quiet. It would be to shut up so I don't get executed. They knew what happened to Jesus. And they would have all of the good intentions in the world for doing so. Well, if I get hurt or if I'm executed, then I can't keep sharing the word of Christ. Or if I do this, this is going to hamper my ministry in this way. But that's not what they were called to do. Obedience in that moment meant suppressing those instincts. It meant putting to the side for just a moment their self-preservation. It meant going through suffering so that a greater reward for humanity could come just like their Savior. In Acts chapter 7, there's this man named Stephen And all of these people have come around and talked about false things, about false teachings he has done. And so you've got all of this this mob who've come around and are like, you're preaching these false things and you're preaching Christ and all of these things. And Stephen goes through and he recounts the story of the Israelite people, of the Jewish people. And he ends it by talking about Christ all the more. 
And in it, he is the first martyr, and he sets an example, and we have no idea how many people saw Christ, not just through his words, but through his desire to be obedient to Christ above that of self-preservation. Of his desire to do these things at the cost of himself. Because the suffering, the sacrifice, speaks more in volume than the words themselves. What's the old adage? Don't talk the talk, walk the walk. Stephen was walking the walk. In our best intentions and in our, in, in our, in our instincts for self-preservation, and maybe not even self-preservation, but our desire to, to protect our own ideologies, maybe we are not getting as close to Christ as we'd hope, as he's pushing us to do. I've told people this story before, um, I've been going to Moody Bible Institute now for, since 2016. And it was out of a desire because I felt stagnant in my faith. It wasn't because I wanted to just get the degree. I wanted to grow. That was my desire. I felt I needed to be stretched. It has not been easy. There have been times where I've had to write crazy long papers. There times where I have had to not do the things I would rather be doing. There's been times studying and sacrificing so that I can draw closer to God. But another big part of this process for me is letting go of that which is not Christ. Of disentangling my faith from all of these other things that would want to co-opt it, that want to take it and turn it into their own. Because at the end, it's not about using the Bible to support and, and uh, reinforce my own viewpoints. It's about me adapting to the words in Scripture. Can we do that? Can we, as Jesus Christ says in the next thing, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me? Because even our best intentions, if rooted in self-interest and rooted in our own personal ideologies and rooted in our own politics, are tainted before the cross. Anything that chooses to take over, to co-opt, to steal the faith, to use it for its own purposes, might be well-intentioned, but it might also put us in the same sandals as Peter. 
For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Brothers and sisters, what are we willing to give up? What has forced its way into our mind's eye to become our primary focus and ideology and that which drives us in all things? And is it driving the car of our faith? No matter how well intentioned it might be. Because here's the thing about this scripture. Peter gets a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. So it's not like there's no grace. But one of the things that Peter has to struggle with and why I love him so much is that he does struggle and he does stumble and he does mess up, but he's continually has his eyes set on Christ and is willing to let him hold him accountable. That even though he got in the way of Christ in this moment, to the point where Christ called him Satan, it tells you how far he came in his faith to actually lead the church and to draw closer people closer to Christ and to boldly stand and preach Christ in the midst of the public and incur persecution and suffering just like his wrath, just like his Christ. So what is it? What is holding us back from a truer faith? What is it that has co-opted our faith? I'm going to give you one last very funny example. Well, I think it's very funny. And then we're going to uh, pray. When I was about to go to Uganda, and I think I've told you some of this before, uh, it was right after I was in Covenant College in 2005. And I remember I was talking to my mom about wanting to go to Uganda. And what she knew about Uganda is that it was dangerous. She remembered Idi Amin and his oppressive regime in the 80s and in the 70s. And I had this professor telling me all about how it's a new president, it's in a whole new thing, and so on and so forth. My mom still didn't want to believe me. She was scared. She didn't know what I would incur. And I remember in one conversation, she's like, well, what if I just break your legs and you can't go? <laughs> that was in jest, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little column A, a little column B. But what I learned at that trip in Uganda, that suffering and that brokenness that I saw in the country, and the mission of Christ that I saw moving, fundamentally changed my faith. And it matured me and helped me to grow in a way I can't even describe. Being in the midst of that suffering and seeing people smiling with bright eyes about their love for Jesus and how he has blessed them 
made me take a step back in a way. I have not taken a step before. How? How can God be blessing them when they're living in a hut? When there's still an army in the northern part of the country that's abducting children. And yet they're able to smile. Oh, geez. Sorry. I didn't want you to see the bottom one. The love of Christ. My mom had great intentions. She wanted her son to live. But for me to truly live, for me to truly grow, she had to let go. For me to truly encounter Christ in a powerful, life-changing way, I had to go to the point where I'd be willing to take up my cross and to possibly lose my life so that I could actually gain it. Now, I don't want to paint Uganda as this dangerous place because they were wonderful people while I was there, and I was safe. And it, and it was a life-changing, transforming trip. But part of the reason it was so transforming, part of the reason that I could grow was because I was willing to quiet that voice of self-preservation, of instinct. I was willing to quiet those voices of what I'd seen on TV and instead point my eyes on Christ and trust that he would carry me through it, no matter how scary no matter how dangerous it might look. Because God's not calling us to a safe faith. He's calling you to a faith where he's telling you to pick up your cross. He's not calling you to a faith to keep him safe. He's calling you to a faith where you would be willing to lose your life for his sake. So we can have all the good intentions in the world. We can have all of the knowledge. We can have all of the rhetoric. We can have all of the rationale and reason to stay where we are. Or, instead of standing in front of Christ, saying, let me keep you safe, I can instead pick up my own cross and walk alongside of him. to be willing to give it up. To be willing to let go of my ideologies, of what I've learned, my experience, and instead live the life that God has called me to live instead of rationalizing for why I should stay where I am. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and we give you thanks. A 
A few weeks ago, Lord, we learned about how Peter stepped out onto the water in faith. And God, I pray that we might be able to do the same. That you would send your Holy Spirit and that God, you would lead us in this life. That even though the winds and the waves might be strong, that even though Uganda might seem dangerous, that even though letting go of those things which have made us feel so safe for so long can be scary, that God, you would help us to keep our eyes upon you. <coughs> that you would equip us. That you would draw us close. And you'd help us to realize it is for a bigger goal and for a bigger purpose. And you have such a bigger plan than we can fathom. And help us to pick up our cross and join you in it as opposed to getting in your way. Help us to see that which in our heart that wants to take control. That wants to sit on the throne of our hearts which is only reserved for you. Be with us, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.